Amos chapter 6. Continue going through the book of Amos. And uh, this chapter, it's pretty straightforward uh, what it's talking about in here. Um, it, it doesn't go real deep. There's not a whole lot of um, you know specific things you need to cover. Not really anything prophetic spe- uh, specifically. But right here, what we're going to see here in Amos chapter six, and we're just going to kind of uh, we're going to read through this as we go. Um, basically, we're seeing kind of what one of the big things that caused Israel and Judah to get in trouble. And it's interesting when we look at this because of the fact that what caused them to get in trouble, we can see it all over in America today. In fact, we've got it real bad in America today. And so I really want to use this message as kind of a, as a motivation to us to try to make sure we watch out for some of these things because I believe that if we make the same mistakes they do as individuals, as a nation, even as a church, it will destroy us. And we're going to show examples in other places in the Bible where this same type of sin took place. And so we'll start reading in verse 1 of Amos chapter 6. And it says, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the house of Israel came. So notice he, a woe. Whenever you see a woe, he's pronouncing a curse on them. And he's saying, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Everything's easy. Those of you that are all relaxed and comforted and you think everything's great and going good, he's saying, woe unto you. And uh, the title of tonight's message is just the danger of life on easy street. And I don't know if we realize that, you know, we're pretty spoiled in America. We've all been trained to be victims, you know, if we don't have what everybody else has. But we've got it pretty easy in this country. I think we all got to admit that. I mean, did anybody walk to church today to all driving cars? All right, you know, how many of you used air conditioning in your car on the way here? I mean, you know, we. How many have air conditioning in your homes and running water, you know, and food? You know, we've got a lot going for us in this country, whether we, you know, want to admit it or not. Things are pretty easy for us, and he's telling them, you know, woe to them that are at ease in Zion. Now, listen, you're not you're not wicked if you have nice things. You're not wicked if you know you. Drove, you know, if you drove here instead of walked here, there's nothing wrong with having things that are convenient. But what happens is when we get that life of ease, when things start going good, often what ends up happening is we forget about God. And they were they were warned about that way back in Deuteronomy. God told me, He's like, I'm going to give you all these good things. I'm going to give you houses you didn't build. I'm going to give you all these lands and things you didn't do any work for it. You just got it. But then He said, Beware lest you forget. And sure enough, that's exactly what Israel did. So God's pronouncing a curse on Israel and Judah for being at ease when it's clear from what we've been reading in the previous five chapters, they should have been in mourning. For five chapters, he's been getting on to them and he's been getting on to other nations for all the wickedness that they have done. And they should have been in mourning because of that. They should have been sorrowful because of all the evil that they had done. But unfortunately, they weren't. Things were easy. Therefore, we've got nothing to worry about. It didn't matter that they weren't right with God. It didn't matter that they were worshiping other gods. It didn't matter that all this wickedness had come into the land. You know what? Their bellies were full. They had, you know, they had nice things. Therefore, they were satisfied. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody? I mean, that's kind of how we are today when it comes to, uh, when it comes to everything. Okay? Churches today. You know when churches start praying for revival, like they always do? It's always when the numbers start dwindling. 
You know, when, when things are going down, when the offerings are small, you know, whenever they need money, when they need more people, all of a sudden now they're praying for God to do something. Instead of asking, Lord, how did we get to this place? Instead of confessing their sins, instead of getting right, you know, they, they just go and, you know, they're, they're just asking God to do something when the truth is they need to do something. You know, they need to get things right. They need to be mourning the fact that they're wicked, that there's, that they've got sin in their life. But you know, Matthew chapter 5 verse 4 says, Blessed are they that mourn, for they should be comforted. Now we don't like mourning, do we? But you know what? Sometimes we need to mourn. Sometimes we need to be sorrowful. Sometimes we need to look at our lives and say, you know what? I really messed up. And you know what? We ought to do these things before God comes down on us. And unfortunately for Israel, God had to come down on them to get them to this point. And we're going to see that here in a little bit in this chapter. But we ought to do this ahead of time. All right? We ought to you know, do this preemptively. We ought, we ought to mourn. We ought to start confessing these things. We need to get right with God before we get into trouble. So look at verse 2. It says, Pass ye unto Calneh, and see, and from thence go ye to Hamath the great. Then go down to Gath of the Philistines. Be they better than these kingdoms? Or their border greater than your border? So basically what this is talking about here, the prophet's telling them that they should be worried right now. Okay? They're surrounded by bigger and stronger people. Okay? They are in a vulnerable spot. Okay? He's naming off all these places. Hey, you know, Hamath the Great. They've got bigger borders than you. Israel has always been a very small place. They didn't have a whole lot of territory. They were always small in number. You know, God didn't choose them because they were large in number. He said, you're the least of the people. They were always a small number of people. And here they are surrounded. And I believe what he's trying to tell them here in verse 2, you know, he's basically telling them, you need to be worried. These people are bigger, stronger than you. Now, doesn't that sound, though, like a contradiction from what we see many other times in the Bible? You know, in the, aren't there many times in the Bible where God told them, hey, don't worry about their numbers? Don't worry about their walls. Don't worry about you know their armies. Don't worry about their chariots. Can anybody tell me what would be what's the difference here? The difference is they're not right with God. Okay. The difference is God's not on their side right now. They've been serving other gods. The difference is God's protection is not on them, and God is bringing the God is raising these armies up. God's raising these nations up. He raised up people like the Assyrians. To deal with them. But you know what? They couldn't see past the nose in the end of their face. They were so, you know, they were so content with the fact that they had food in their bellies that they weren't looking towards what was around them. They weren't taking spiritual inventory in their life. They're just looking and thinking, you know, everything's fine today. We're not being attacked today. I'm not hungry today. But God's telling them, hey, there's, you're, you're surrounded right now. You've got bigger enemies out there. You're not ready. You're not right with me. You're not going to have my protection. You ought to be worried about what's going on right now. But you know what? You know, it was a problem because now God's not on their side. And they just basically took it for granted that God was going to take care of them. God had won all these battles for them in the past. But notice it was when they'd be obedient to Him. Yes, God defeated them. Or God defeated Jericho, didn't He? But you know what? They still had to march around that city for six days. And then the seventh day, they had to march around it seven times. You know, they still had to blow, you know, uh, with, with the army of Gideon, they still had to blow the trumpets. They had to, you know, 
break the pitchers with the torches in them and say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. God would often give them really ridiculous battle plans, wouldn't he? But they always worked. You know why? Because they were obedient. But whenever they were disobedient, it always ended bad for them. We see examples of Achan, the story of Achan. When they went to go fight a battle, it should have been an easy battle. One that they had physically had the ability to win, but they ended up losing it. Why? Because there was sin in the camp. And thankfully, they recognized it. They got rid of it. And the next time, they beat the people no problem. But right now, Israel's in a very dangerous place because they're surrounded by enemies and they're not right with God. And God's just pointing these things out. Hey, have you noticed what you're surrounded by? And he said it would be easy for them to think, well, they've never been a problem before. But that, that's because God was protecting them. And the truth is, God's wanting them to turn to Him. God's been wanting them to call on Him. God's been giving them warning. God sent them the prophets. God sent them, he, he mentioned before in one of the previous chapters about all the things He sent their way. He named off all these things that He sent to warn them, but they just ignored the warning. And so here He is. He's just telling them, take a look at what you're surrounded by. You're in big trouble. Verse 3, He says, "...ye put far away the evil day and cause the seat of violence to come near." See, you put far away the evil day. You know what they're doing? They're saying, yeah, we know it's coming, but it's far away. Hey, it's not going to be today. They have the Hezekiah mentality. Hey, it's not going to be in my lifetime. Therefore, I'm okay. It's kind of like the pre-tribbers today as they see things going downhill in their churches and as they see apostasy growing, as they see our nation getting more and more wicked. You know what their attitude is? Well, rapture's going to come before it gets too bad. So, not our problem. That, you know, that's their attitude. Yeah, things are getting bad, but we're not going to be here for the really bad stuff. So, like, they're just letting it all go bad. You know, they, they've stopped fighting. They've stopped pushing back. And in this time, their attitude was, well, it's not going to be in our generation. So they didn't care. You know, and unfortunately, it was very near. It was very near. You just told them in the chapter before, that, hey, you know, that day of the Lord, it's, it's nigh. It is even nigh at hand. He mentioned that. And so they had that idea. He said, you put far away that evening and cause the seat of violence to come near. So the fact that they knew it was coming, but they didn't care, it showed that it actually was speeding up the process. Okay? Now, why is that? Simply because of the fact that, okay, if my sin is, what's good, is what brings judgment, right? Sin is what brings judgment. Well, if I think it's far away, I'm going to continue to sin, which is going to bring even more judgment. And so the fact that they thought it was far away, it only encouraged them to sin even more, which actually made the judgment come even faster. And you say, why did the northern kingdom get in trouble before the southern kingdom? Well, one, the northern kingdom was worse than the southern kingdom. You know, second of all, the southern kingdom had some revival. You know, they did get some things right. And so it helped delay things. But when it came to the northern kingdom, they never got right. They never had revival. And so it came fast. Second Peter 3, 3. We see the same kind of thing is going to happen. It is happening today. It says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. So right there we see, he's saying this is what's going to happen in the last days. People are going to start having this attitude of, you know what? 
where is the promise of His coming? You know, it's been this way for a long time. You know what? Some are going to say He's He's not coming back. You know, you've got the preterists that are out there that say, you know, the rapture already happened, you know, and we've got millions of years left. You know, and then, but then you have the other people that have the attitude, well, it's probably not going to be for another 100, 200 years. And so they just don't care. They just, they're not, they actually are abounding in sin. They're not seeing the signs and letting it cause them to be ready and to get their garments white. What are they doing? They're just abounding in sin. And sin is what ultimately brings judgment. And so the fact that these people had this attitude, that they had this mentality that, no, this day is far away, it actually, I believe, it caused the seed of violence to come near. It made it come even faster. That, that's what I believe that verse is talking about right there. So the, the apathetic attitude, it caused them to sin even more. Verse 4 says, that lie upon beds of ivory and stretch themselves upon their couches and eat the lambs out of the flock and the calves out of the midst of the stall. Notice they had luxury, so they didn't care about anything else. You want to know when America will wake up to the fact that judgment is coming? When they lose their television sets. You know, if all of a sudden there was like a blackout on cable and they couldn't have TV or they lost their internet, then we're going to see people start waking up. You know, then we might see revival. You know, if people didn't have their cell phones anymore, you know, if the grid went down or something like that, then people are going to wake up. But you know what? In the meantime, oh yeah, yeah, I hear the bad news or whatever. We well, you know what they do. They've got their little fantasy world they can go off into in the television, on the internet, and they're just, they just, they don't care about, they're not looking at reality. They're not focused on these things. If they see something in the news that depresses them, they'll just change this channel and go watch some comedy station to make them feel a little bit better. You know, they'll run to McDonald's and treat themselves to all they can eat. You know, get two value meals instead of one value meal. You know, that's how we comfort. That's a lot of how we comfort ourselves in our country, isn't it? We like to pamper ourselves, especially with food. You know, go eat that big meal, go to the buffet. You know, ladies, go get that whole big, you know, carton of ice cream and just you know eat the whole thing right out of the ice cream bucket you know i know that's a big thing some do you know hey as long as we have those luxuries we're fine as long as we're able to you know lie in our beds of ivory you know stretch themselves upon their couches eat the lambs out of the flock you know for the guys we want to you know i guess you know my depression food would be a nice big steak or something like that you know that'll make me feel better and unfortunately Though because we are so blessed in this country, we, we have all these things we can run to that give us comfort when the truth is we ought to be in mourning because of the wickedness. And we need to be getting things right. And many people today, as long as they have their luxury, then they feel fine. And you know what? Turn over to Revelation chapter 3. Because we see in Revelation chapter 3 that there was a church that had that same attitude. See, this is not this problem that we're seeing here that Israel had. It's not exclusively a problem that they had. Okay, this problem's been around since the beginning of time. It was one that God warned them would happen. And it's one that we see even in the Laodicean church. And, I believe, and there's a lot of Laodicean churches out there. Okay, I don't believe in the Laodicean church age, but I do believe in Laodicean churches. And there's a lot of churches. You know, these coffee shop, cappuccino churches, you know, they might as well just call themselves Laodicea Baptist Church. You know, and as long as they do, as long as they can go there, 
As long as they have their big crowd, as long as they've got their cup of coffee, as long as they got a preacher up there that'll speak some smooth things to them and tickle their ears, they're happy. You know, we don't need anything. If they hear a message, you know, uh, uh, with some hard preaching that gives a strong rebuke to something like that, if they hear preaching about, you know, going out and winning souls and about being a light to a world that gets them convicted, you know what? They've got their little coffee shop churches they can run off to where the preacher will tell them they're all wonderful and, you know, sweet and cuddly and just, you know, talk about sunshine and roses and kittens and then they're all good. They're all happy as long as they have those things. And in Revelation 3.15, he says, I know thy works that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou art cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth because thou sayest, I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing and knowest not that thou art wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Now, isn't that what the same thing we see there in Amos? They've got their beds of ivory. They've got their lambs that they're able to eat out of the flock. You know, they, they've got that, uh, you know, the calves out of the midst of the stall. They've got their meat to eat. They've got their bellies full. They have their comfort. And so therefore, who cares? They're not even thinking about it. And that is the, that is the problem. Like I said, when it comes to a lot of churches, when they actually start looking to try, you know, start doing spiritual inventory, it's after things get bad in the church. It's after hard times come. When things are going good, you know, they they all take that as a sign that, well, we must be doing something for the Lord. Maybe God's just being gracious. Maybe He's being merciful. Maybe He's being long-suffering to you. Not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Maybe He's just trying to give you a chance to get right. You know, sometimes God is so good, I think He gets us in trouble. He's so merciful that we end up getting the wrong message. And that clearly was what was happening with Israel. They should have been in trouble a long time ago. But God was merciful, giving them chance after chance, giving them warning after warning. But in the end, it never worked because of the fact that they still had their comforts. They still had their luxuries. So they saw no need. They, they saw no need of anything. We have need of nothing. Like the church in Laodicea. We're comfortable. We're not cold or hot. We're comfortable. We have need of nothing. But under, notice how Jesus had a very different opinion about them. Wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Not good. Not good at all. And so, we, we often don't pray until we have a need. And that's pretty sad. You know what? We all hate that family member. You all hate that friend that only shows up and only calls you when you want something. You know, do we want to be that way with God? Should that be the only time we pray? It's when we're just wanting stuff. You know, when things are bad. You know what? Why don't we talk to Him all the time? Why don't we have a real prayer life? And real, have a real walk with God? Why don't we ask, you know, if we're going to ask for things, why don't we not be so selfish about it all the time? You know, I think if, I think if we would pray when things are good, we'd be more likely to get our prayers answered when things are bad. Because we're not just that person that comes whenever they need something. You know, we need to understand that, you know, we need God all the time. And even though you might not feel the need today because your belly's full, you still need Him. And Israel, they didn't think they needed Him because they had their luxuries. But the truth is, they were just a short time away from major destruction. They needed God desperately and they didn't even know it. So look at verse 5. It says, um, it says that chant to the sound of the vial. 
and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Okay, so he mentions this right after he's talking about their beds of ivory and about their food that they have to eat. And then, you know, they chant to the sound of the vial and invent to themselves instruments of music like David. Okay, now does this mean something, there's something wrong with music? Right? No, obviously music is a very good thing. But notice this, them inventing these instruments of music to themselves. They weren't using this music to glorify God, to praise the Lord. This was something that was for their own pleasure. Okay? Now, listen, there are some things that are pleasurable to us that are not sin. Okay? I like good music. Okay? I like, you know, we all like to be, you know, entertained by whatever. I'm not saying, I don't believe the Bible here is saying these things are wrong. But you know what it is saying? It's like, hey, while you've got all this good, all you're doing is just trying to wait to heap more good on yourselves. And isn't that what we do in our country today? You know, it's not enough that we've got television, you know, there's television sets. We've got to be able to watch TV on our phones, too. You know, I mean, isn't it amazing some of the luxuries that we feel like we are entitled to have? And isn't most of it just about entertainment? I mean, most of it is just about, you know, bringing pleasure to ourselves. That's what we are all about. That's why, you know, and, you know teenagers feel like they're a victim if they don't have a smartphone and they don't have all these things. We're just all, we're, we're constantly making and inventing new things to just bring pleasure to ourselves. And it looks, when it comes to technology, there are some great things we can do with technology. I'm all for cell phones. I'm all for internet. There's great things that we can do. There's ways we can make our life more efficient with those. So we could say we could do more for God. But is that what we're really using these things for all the time? Is that why these things are being invented? Are they being invented so we can just give ourselves more pleasure? And it's just one more thing that we have to just you know, keep ourselves from ever being reminded about the things of God and the things that we really need in our life. And so they do. They're just inventing more things to bring them pleasure. And these things aren't necessarily bad. But it was just one more thing keeping them distracted from God. And you know what? I don't, you know, think about, I mean, how many years ago did the iPhone come out? It wasn't that long ago when the iPhone came out. But now people can't live without, one, you know, that or another smartphone. You know, iPads. I remember, you know, those things aren't that old. Think about in five years from now, what's pro what is probably going to be out there. There will be another invention, another luxury that's going to be this great pleasure that everybody feels entitled to. And you know what? Once again, having pleasure is not a sin, but it's good. You know what? We're going to turn whatever it is into one more thing that distracts us from God and from the things of God. And that was, is what they did. There was nothing wrong with them having nice things and having meat. God wanted to bless them. God wanted to give them physical blessings, but they let these things put them at, you know, at a, in a feeling of ease and security and tranquility. And they forgot about God and they, it got them in big trouble. So look at what, what it says in verse 6. So he uh, mentioned all these good things. Verse 6, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, but they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. Okay, So all, he's just naming off a few more luxuries, a few more things to do. They give themselves you know, the chief ointments. Isn't it amazing how we, we feel like we've got to have the best of everything? You know, the best of everything, the nicest things, the name brand clothes. But you know what? While they're doing all these things, bringing pleasure on themselves, 
You know what? They're not grieved for the affliction of Joseph. They're not grieved for bad things that are happening to other people. And you know what? It's, it, you know, we're not, I'm afraid even as Christians today, we're not grieved when it comes to the wickedness that's going on in our government. We're not grieved about all the abortion that's going on. We're not grieved about all the homosexuality and perversion that's going on in our country. You know why? Because of the fact that we have all those luxuries around us to keep us distracted. If we start feeling bad, if we start feeling like shedding a tear, if we start feeling like, you know, maybe we ought to try to do something, maybe we ought to try to get involved, maybe we ought to try to make a difference, maybe we ought to get involved in the soul winning and just trying to win some people to Christ, whenever we start thinking that way, you know what? We can always go, you know, well, the world's bad, but it's not as bad as it is, you know, when Thanos takes over the galaxy or something, you know. Everybody gets caught up in these sci-fi you know, Marvel movies and things like that. You know, hey, let's let you know, let's go off into that fantasy world where things are worse and where things don't seem so bad. You know, if you're having a bad day, you know, just go watch Jack Bauer. He's always having a worse day than you. You know, nobody gets beat up and shot up and tortured more times in 24 hours than him. You know, and we do. We have all these little fantasy worlds we can go off to for entertainment and to make ourselves feel good and comfortable. But in the meantime, we're ignoring what needs to be done. We're ignoring the real problems in this church. People today, they will talk more about what's going on on a television show than they do about the wickedness that's going on in our own country. I mean, it makes bigger news when one of the Kardashians has another breakup or something like that, you know, than actually real stories. I mean, real problems, real issues. People ignore those things. Why? Because they've got their luxuries. So they're happy. So all's right in their world because they're able to do the things that they want to do and we ought to be bothered by the suffering of others. But they weren't because they weren't suffering. Because them at that time, because they were not suffering, they could care less about the affliction of someone else. And I'm afraid that's where we're at today. You know, and that's why that's why it's so hard, you know, getting rich people saved. Because rich people, they don't think they need anything. Their life's easy. Everything's going good. I don't need anything. And it's hard It's hard to wake them up out of that. It's hard to get them to see that, no, hey, you've got a, a, a severe need right now. You need a Savior. You are a sinner. But, they, you know, they, they don't care. You know, you ever wonder, too, you know, we look at what goes on in politics and in our government and just all the wickedness and the corruption that goes on there. We see all these things, and what do we do? We all, we'll see all that, and then we're just, but like, you know, how do they sleep at night? How do they, you know, how do they deal with this? You know why? Because they're just stinking rich. They've got, they've got their drugs that they can give themselves. You know, they've got, they've got all these pleasures and things that life has to offer. You know, and I, I think they sleep good. They just go look at their bank account. You know, and it gives them comfort. You know, they look at that payoff that they got to vote the way they did, and it makes them feel good, and so they don't care. So, but we shouldn't be that way. Okay, I'm not telling you you got to just sit around and be miserable all the time. I'm not saying you just got to be, you know, be crying about everything. But you know what? Every once in a while, we should take a look at the, all the wickedness that's going on, and we ought to ask ourselves, you know, what can I do about it? What can I do to help change things? What can I do to help make a difference? But I'm afraid today. We're not, we're a lot more like Israel. So, uh, look at verse eight, or verse seven. It says, therefore now shall they go captive 
with the first that go captive, and the banquet of them that stretch themselves shall be removed. Okay, talking about those stretching themselves in their couches before. And so he's saying they're going to go into captivity. You know what? Those who are laying down, those who are taking their nap, those who are relaxing, their banquet's going to be removed. Okay? What he's saying right there, the only way God was going to get a hold of them was to take away their comfort and their luxuries. That's what he's saying right there. You know what? It's like I've been so good to you that you're not listening to me. You're not paying any attention to me. You're not, you're not, uh, you're not getting right. You're not doing any of these things. So you know what? Let's take away the luxuries. I'll take away your banquet. I'll let you get hungry. I'll let you get afflicted. Okay, you don't care about the others getting afflicted. You don't care about what they're going through. Fine. I'll let you go through the same thing that they are going through, and then maybe you'll look to me. Then maybe you will pay attention to what's going on. So verse eight says, "The Lord God has sworn by Himself." saith the Lord, the God of hosts, I abhor the excellency of Jacob and hate his palaces. Therefore, will I deliver up the city with all that is therein. So here they've accomplished all these things. They've built these cities. They've got these nice palaces. They're thinking that they're great because of that. Because they have all these wonderful things they can look at. You know, what do we have to worry about? You know what he said? I hate. I hate the work of their hands. I hate what they've accomplished. Now, this is something we need to get right here. Turn over to Isaiah chapter 64, verse 6. Okay? He said, I, uh, he said, I abhor the excellency of Jacob. Okay? What they have done, what they've accomplished, the best that they have done, he said, I abhor it. Okay? He says, He hates their palaces, and therefore I will deliver up the city with all that is therein. I'm going to. I'm going to let it. I'm going to give it all away. I'm going to let it all be taken away from them. God hated the work of their hands. Isaiah 64:6. We all know this verse. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. Right there, we see our righteousness. Our righteousnesses are as filthy rags to God. You realize our this is right this right here this is why a works based salvation is such a horrible heresy, okay? Because our works don't please God, our works cannot please God. The best that we could do would not please God. If we were to build the most magnificent, most fantastic church building in all of the world, it would not please God. In fact, He said, "I abhor the excellency of Jacob." You know, the best that they were able to accomplish, the best that they were able to build, God's saying, I hate it. I abhor it. Okay? Why? Is, you know, is God being a snob there? Is God, you know, you know, we've all received those things before that just, those gifts that just weren't that impressive. We've all received those pictures before that weren't that great. But you know what? Often with children, we will still accept those things and love those things. Why? Because we know it came from a heart of love. Okay? But then you have those that they are good at things. Maybe they do have a lot of talent, but they're just thinking arrogant about it. You know, I mean, I've had people before, you know, who have done nice things for me that maybe didn't add up to a whole lot. It didn't really accomplish a whole lot. Maybe they wanted to do something in the church. It wasn't a big deal. It wasn't even necessarily a massive help, but they did what they could. It was done with the heart of love. You know what? I appreciate that. 
But then you've got other people who have a lot of talent, who have a lot of ability, and then they'll do something and they act like they're just the greatest thing that you know ever happened to Christianity. And you know what? In the end, we are so... I mean, think about God spoke this universe into existence. Do you think God is ever going to be impressed with anything that we can accomplish with His creation? Think about that. Whatever we build, yeah, we built it with His creation. Oh, great. You took my materials and you, know, you built this. You know, congratulations. You know, I spoke the universe into existence in six days. You know, we're not going to impress God with our works. Oh, wow, you go to church? Oh, you repented of some sins? You know, oh, you got baptized? Oh, you read your Bible every once in a while? Hey, let me tell you about my son. He lived 33 years on this earth and never sinned one time. You know, yeah, you did. You do all these you know, good things here and there, but you know what? You've sinned too. My son had to die on a cross and pay for your sins. So do you all realize we're not going to impress God when it comes to the work of our hands? And Israel was not going to impress God with the work of their hands. God said, you know what? I hate it. I, I, hate what, I hate what you've done. I hate what you've accomplished. And that works-based salvation is a heresy. One, because it just doesn't work. It doesn't get anybody saved. It leads people to hell. But it also greatly cheapens salvation. When we have an attitude that we can do something to earn our salvation, it, ta- it lowers the price of, our, of what it costs to give us salvation. It costs the blood of Jesus Christ, who was holy and without blemish. That, my friends, is a big deal. A massive deal. And when we act like, you know, that's what, that's what makes me so sick, too, about these repent of your sins preachers. Because when you actually press them on the issue, well, you know, you don't have to repent of all your sins, you've got to repent of some sins. You know, you, you, at least, you at least got to make an effort. Really, and, and you think we're going to impress God by that. You really, you, you really think there's anything we can do to impress God. When the Bible says all our righteousness is as, as filthy rats, and you think going to church, that's enough. Getting baptized, that's enough. You know, stopping your cussing, that's enough. No, none of it's enough. None of it, none of that it is enough. It greatly cheapens salvation. And what God is interested in is our, not our works, He's interested in our faith. Look what it says in Hebrews 11.6, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a reward of them that diligently seek him. You know the problem with what Israel had accomplished? It wasn't that they were bad builders or anything like that. I'm sure they probably did a pretty good job as far as our standards go. But you know what? What they did was not of faith. What they did was of works, and God was not impressed. Think about that. You know, think about all the things that they built, the palaces and things they built. And God was not impressed. God said, I hate that. But yet, when it came to Abraham, God told Abraham, I'm going to multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And Abraham believed God. And it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Now, what's more impressive? Building a palace or just believing something God tells you? Well, you know what? To God, it was believing God. You know why? Because that took faith. That's what God is interested in. God is not interested in our works. We cannot impress Him with our works. We cannot please Him with our works. We can only please Him with our faith. Verse 9, Amos 6. It says, And it shall come to pass, if there remain ten men in one house, 
they shall die. And a man's uncle shall take him up, and he that burneth him to bring out the bones out of the house, and shall say unto him that is by the side of the house, Is there yet any with thee? And he shall say, No. Then shall he say, Hold thy tongue, for we may not make mention of the name of the Lord. For, for behold, the Lord commandeth, and he will smite the great house with breaches, and, and the little house with clefts. Shall horsemen run upon the rock? Will one plow there with oxen? For ye have turned judgment into gall, and the fruit of righteousness into hemlock, which rejoice in the thing of naught, which say, Have we not taken to us horns by our own strength? But behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, saith the Lord, the God of hosts, and they shall afflict you from entering in of Hemath unto the river of the wilderness. So this right here, God's just he, he's telling them, you know, I'm going to destroy your works. Those things you've done, I'm going to destroy them. You're going to die. He's warning them about all this judgment that's coming their way. He said, you know, ye which rejoice in a thing of naught, you're rejoicing over nothing. Hey, these people too, who think that you know their salvation is somehow based on their works. These camp meeting preachers that want to prove they're saved because of their changed life, that want to run around like a bunch of maniacs, just glorying in their changed life, you know, bragging on their little bit of reformation they had. You know what? They're glorying in naught. Because those things did not save them. And those guys, these guys that preach that way too, they better hope, you know, they really got saved at some point and just forgot about it. <laughs> because what they're teaching is not salvation. They're rejoicing in nothing. And they don't even realize that destruction is coming their way. And we see here in this, that this love of things and pleasure, it caused them to forget God. And now God has to send destruction as a way to bring them back to Him. Okay? Now you might think, you know, that's kind of mean. Alright? And, and, you know, but here's the thing, what's better? A life of pleasure? than eternity in hell or a life of misery in eternity in heaven. You see, we've got this attitude that, you know, I'm supposed to find out what God wants me to do. I'm supposed to obey all these commandments so I can get stuff. Isn't that our attitude today? You know, a lot of times people start going to church when things get bad. They're having financial problems. Well, I'm going to start going to church and hopefully it will improve my life. Well, you know, hopefully it will. I think if we obey the commands, eventually it will. But you know what? It might not. You might go through some real hard times. You know, you you, know, you have people that start coming to church, you know, because they got a family member dying or something like that. Well, you know what? They still might die. Things might happen. But we do. We have this attitude. We're supposed to go to church so we can get stuff. We even have, you know, even a lot of preachers. You have the prosperity preachers that are out there in the charismatic world. That basically you can judge how spiritual you are by how much stuff you have, by how blessed your life is. And you know what? There's a lot of Baptists. While they're not as crazy as the Robert Tiltons and they don't go as far as those guys do, you'll hear pastors get up all the time and they'll and to prove somebody's not right with God, they'll bring up bad circumstances in their lives. And I've talked about this before, but you know, I mean, if somebody's dying of cancer and he's a part of the club, he's one of the good guys, well, the devil's fighting them. You know, but if he's not in the club, God's trying to wake him up. God's bringing judgment. Isn't that the way it is every time? Okay, you know, the Bible teaches that he may, he causes it to rain on the just and on the unjust. But that's the attitude we have today. If a guy's church is big and booming and exploding, 
and he's in the club, well, you know, the Lord sure is blessing his church. But if he's not in the club, he got there because of compromise. Isn't that the way it always is? It, you know, just the, the double standard that we have there. But what these people don't even realize, whenever they're saying those things, they're sending a message to people that if you're right with God, you know, you're going to have stuff. Things are going to be going good. It becomes all about possessions. And then the church is all about, you know, you know, churches, they have this, you know, we've, we've got to build the palaces. We've got to build the big fancy buildings. You know, as long as we've got the money in the bank, as long as we've got the, you know, the seats full, as long as we have these things going for us, it doesn't matter if they're not doing any soul winning. It doesn't matter if they're not even preaching the right gospel. It doesn't matter if they're going into doctrinal heresy. None of those things even matter as long as they have all those things in their minds, they're right with God. They think it's all about getting stuff. But where do we see in the Bible that life is about getting stuff? Right. Don't we see in the Bible, didn't Jesus say, or the Bible, the Bible say having food and rain with, let's be content? You know, didn't He say, Jesus say, take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought of the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. Isn't that what we see all throughout the Bible? And you know what? People know that. Okay, These preachers that preach that way, they know these verses. And if they're, depending on the subject they'll preach, they'll preach it right, but they often send these messages of, you know, you're right with God when you've got all the physical things going your way. But we see here in this passage that Israel was far from right with God. We see that destruction was coming their way. And so God is bringing this destruction to them to try to turn them back to Him. Try to get them focusing back on Him. And people think that's cruel. It, that's not fair. You know, why couldn't He have tried to find some other way to do it? Why, and, you know, and you know what your people are thinking when they act that way? Is, you know, hey, they were doing just fine. You know, because they had stuff. Because they had luxury. And many churches today think they're doing fine because they have stuff. Because they have luxury. Many Christian people today, they think they're doing fine because their job's going good. They've got good money. Their bank account's full. But you know, turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Maybe their health is even good. So they've got good health. They've got, they've got the money. They've got all these things. Therefore, I'm doing good. And like Israel, they don't take any spiritual inventory in their life. They never check to see you know, where they're at. You know, they never check on their standing with God. And look what it says in Matthew 5.29. It says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. You know what? It wouldn't be fun to be blind. It wouldn't be fun to have a missing eye. It wouldn't be fun to have a missing hand. But you know what? It would be better off to go through a life with a disability than to go through life healthy and go to hell. And understand that when God sends judgment many times, people might think, that's cruel. Why would He do that? Well, what's more cruel? A little bit of tribulation on this earth or eternity in hell? And you know what? I personally think that... Well, and I know what's going to happen. You know, I, I, think, we're, I think when the tribulation starts... <clears throat> There's going to be a great revival that takes place. I think there's going to be a lot of people 
that are going to get saved during that time. I, I really do. You know why? Because people are going, they're going to get shook up. I believe that before Jesus Christ returns, He's doing one. I mean, it's, it's one last shakeup, one last warning for everybody before He returns. That hey, I'm about to come back. This is your last chance. And so you know what? He's going to send those four horsemen of the apocalypse. He's going to send the war and the famine and the pestilence. Those things are going to are going to sweep through this world. That's finally maybe going to it's going to get a lot of people. Not everybody. But a lot of people are going to be looking to God and you know actually paying attention to things. You say, man, so many people are dying. So many horrible things. You know what? There is nothing that we can go through on this earth that's worse than eternity in hell. And if some tribulation on this earth is what will bring people to Christ, then you know what? Great. Great. There is nothing that can happen on this earth in any length of time that it will be any worse than hell. I, I I hate when people talk about you know hell on earth and things like that. You know, and I went through hell. You know, you know, you're, you're cheapening what hell is when you say that. I understand what they're trying to say, but I I think I think they're taking it too far. I had a preacher that said one time he's like, you know, I, I literally went through hell. I literally went through hell because I was going to all these churches. I was trying to figure out how to get saved, and you know, and everybody was telling me the wrong thing, and I couldn't figure. It. He, he's like he's like that's hell. That's what he kept. Doing. He's like that's hell. No, it's not. No, it's not. Because for one, you got out of it. You know, you got saved. When you go to hell, you're never getting out of there. Ever. It's a place where there is no hope. And so, you know, I, I understand we all often use extremes to get a point across. But don't use that one, alright? Don't use that one. That needs to be the worst thing that there is. Because it is the worst thing that there is. And then, when you're, and if we have that attitude... When we're looking in the Bible and we're seeing all the horrible things that God would often bring to get the people to turn back to Him, we won't look at those things and think, well, God was being cruel. You know, He wasn't. He wasn't being cruel at all. He was being merciful to them. Any any time God sends anything our way that could possibly lead somebody to salvation, that is a good thing. That is God being merciful. That's God giving us another chance. And so we we need to be like Daniel. And we need to be close to God all the time. That's what we need to get from this passage right here. And I really think we, we need to take a look in our life. Because you know what? We are very blessed. We've got a lot of luxury in this country. You know, God's blessing our church. You know, things are going good at the church. But you know what? That's not the time for us to get comfortable. You know, there is, that's, that's not a time for us to back off in our prayer life. It's not time to do that. You know, we need to be like Daniel and be close to God all the time. Remember, Daniel, when they made that law about not praying, when Daniel went to pray, what did it say? He went and he did as he did aforetime. Daniel did not change his routine one bit when the new law was made. He didn't change his routine one bit. You know what he did? He did what he always did. But you know what? If Daniel hadn't prayed in months or years or anything like that, and then all of a sudden they made that law, and then he realized, you know, he heard a preacher preaching, you know, preaching against that, realized he just lost free speech or something like that, and then he would have went running to God and praying. I don't know. Maybe God, who knows? Maybe God wouldn't have protected them in the lion's den like he did. But you know what? Daniel just went and did what he always did. He didn't change things one bit. And you know what? God protected him in the lion's den. 
And you know what? That one of the things we've got to realize too. You know, when it comes to the tribulation, you know, we read about you know those who know the Lord are going to be strong and they're going to do exploits. Well, you know what? If we're not going to do anything now, we're not going to do anything then. You know, when the tribulation starts, we shouldn't be changing anything. You know, we shouldn't be changing anything. We ought to just continue doing like we were doing before. We need we need to stay right with God. Things shouldn't drastically change in our life when hard times come. We should already be doing the spiritual things. And that might sound weird because most people today are doing the spiritual things so they won't have to go through hard times. That's not why we do those things. We do these things because they're the right thing to do. And when, and then, and I do, I believe, listen, when hard times come, I believe God can get rid of those things. I believe He can protect us. But I do believe He will be more likely to do that if we are, the way we are living when the hard times come is the way we were living before the hard times came. And we don't want to be one of these good Christians just when we need something from God. And I'm afraid that this is something that we are very susceptible to because we live in America. Because we, you know, we do, we, we do live on easy street. We are, we're, we're, we are so blessed in this country that we don't even, we, we, we don't realize the dire need that we have for God. And I'm, and we see in, in Amos chapter 6, God said, I sent all, or in the previous chapter, He said, I sent all these things to warn you, you didn't listen. You know what? We need to heed the warnings. You know, we need to get these things right now before it's too late. And I believe if you do that, God will bless you and God will get you through those hard times. And so, I hope that was helpful to you. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your mercy. And dear God, I pray you'll help all of us in our, in our individual lives. I pray you'll help us as a church to do that spiritual inventory that we should be doing. I pray that you'll help us to always, uh, Lord, be dependent on you. Help us not to just go to you when uh, things are hard, but we'll uh, be close to you in the good times and in the bad times. And I just pray that you will... Uh, protect us, God, and just help us to make a difference. In your name we pray. Amen.